Good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors at the project here. If you're new today, welcome. If you're old, welcome. If you're old to the project, welcome. This is, um, this is the last message in John for a while. Uh, some of you who were around a little while ago knew that we uh, took a dive into uh, the book of Acts. We got to the end of chapter 12. And um, so we're going to dive back into Acts for a while um, through until uh, actually early August. Let's kick in, shall we? I want you to stop for a moment and uh, think about your childhood. Uh, all those years that you didn't have that much freedom. You know, you got to your teenage years and you, you kicked against some of the rules of your parents. It's like, I just want to be free. I want to have some freedom. I want to be able to choose. And eventually the time came, didn't it, where you actually got some of that freedom. Often that comes in the shape of a driver's license, right? You can drive somewhere. You can go somewhere when you want to go somewhere. Um, There's all this investment that your parents invested in you over all these years. And then there comes this moment, doesn't there, where it's over to you, over to you. Um, Can you remember it? Can you remember that moment? You remember maybe even the moment of getting your driver's license where you just drove somewhere because you could, didn't have anywhere to go, you didn't have to pick anything up, you just could, so you did. Um, This is where uh, the the moment, usually at the end of year 12, is a moment where freedom kind of goes large and it's over to you. And the question becomes, doesn't it, um, who are you going to be? What person are you going to be? I want to just say something briefly. If you're a child and you have Christian parents, um, before I lose you today, I want you to hear me say something this morning, and that's this. You've probably heard this before, older people, but God doesn't have grandchildren. All right? If you're a child today and you've got Christian parents and you go to this church, you don't get in on your parents' ticket. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have people that get in because they're connected to someone else. You're either his child or you're not his child. You have to be on a first-name basis with God. You have to respond to him yourself. Your parents' faith won't get you there. And, and here's my question. If you're a child here today, have, have you responded to Jesus? Have you responded to his love for you? Have you responded to the fact that he didn't just die on the cross for your parents, he died on the cross for you? You know, as you grow up in life, as I said before, there's a moment where it's over to you. And as you grow up as a child, in a spiritual sense, there's a moment where it's over to you. You have to work out what you want to do with Jesus. Last week we looked at Switching everyone back on. Last week we looked at John 3.16, best news ever. Best news ever. Um, Jesus has done so much amazing stuff. Uh, we looked at how giving Jesus is. The, you know, the most famous verse in the Bible. And today, it's over to you. What are you going to do with it? So let's have a look at the text. This is uh, John 3. We're going to start at verse 17. If you've got a Bible there, I'd love for you to open that up. John 3. Verse 17. 
John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here's the three places that we're heading today. We're going to look at our default setting, God's default setting, and over to you. In essence, what we're actually doing today is we're looking at who we are, a little bit of who we are, we're looking at a little bit of who God is, and then what are we going to do with him? So let's start here, our default setting. Now this is uh, just full disclosure, uh, this is a bit dark. So we're just going to get rid of the bad news first and we'll get on to the good news because there's lots of good news in the passage. Uh, if you look at uh, the nature of what fallen people are like from this passage, there's a couple of things that are really quite prominent. One of them is that uh, they're condemned <laughs> and the other one is that they love darkness. They love darkness. And I want to have a quick look at each of these and, and kind of square them away so that we can get to the good news of the passage. One of these you, can, you need to be told by God is the case for you to know it. The other one is pretty plain. We see it all over the place. Let's start with the one that you need to be told by God about, and that's this. Um, condemned. Condemned. Have a look at uh, the text here. I've, I've highlighted the areas where we see these two things. Um, going on, condemnation and the love of darkness. Now, the idea behind this, uh, this word condemned here is, is judge, but it's not like determining whether someone's guilty or innocent. It's actually the condemnation part of it all. It's, it's kind of downstream of that. It's after someone's been declared to be wrong. You can, you can think of it in a trial sense, in the sense that it's not the judging process to work out whether someone's guilty, it's the sentencing kind of process at the end of it um, the guilt is not actually in question here uh, we are guilty that's that's locked in it's it, and you can see that in the text here uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already we're guilty and we actually are condemned this the sentence in a sense has been passed upon us do nothing you're condemned that's how it works believe in jesus you're not condemned. That's how it works. Um, the, the bottom line here is that the world is in the wrong. We were, all, we were all born that way. And this is something that the Bible teaches. One of my favorite movies, it's an old movie. One of my favorite movies is the movie uh, I Am Legend by uh, Will Smith. And uh, it's, uh, it's like years ago. And like I could say spoiler alert because I'm going to spoil some things. But um, it's so old. Hopefully it doesn't matter. Um, but basically the idea of I Am Legend is a, uh, they develop this virus that cures cancer and then the virus mutates and then it turns everyone into zombies. And there's one guy and it's Will Smith and he's somehow immune to the virus. So he's a scientist and he's working on um, solving this problem that's, um, that's going on in the world where all these zombies are that hide in the daytime and come out at nighttime. They love the dark. And the movie... This is part of the spoiler alert. I'm not telling you all of the end of it, so you could go and watch it if you want. But one of the things that happens at the end is he, 
he discovers along the way that there's a woman who uh, is in the same boat as him who hasn't been affected by the virus and that surprises him because he thought he was the only one and then at the end they find this whole enclave of people who are protected from this virus. Um, But I, I want to say to you today that the teaching of the Bible, the teaching from John here, um, is not that. <laughs> there isn't an enclave of unaffected, pe- unaffected people. There, there aren't any that have been, that are free of the virus that dehumanizes us. We are all fallen. We are all guilty. It, it isn't a neutral world. It just isn't a neutral world. Um, and like I said before, if you don't do anything, your default state is condemned. It is dark. If it feels dark to you, it's because it is. (laughs) It is dark. But look at verse 19. Let's look at the other part of it. This is something that I think that we see really clearly, and you can see it in the red there on the right-hand side. And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, this one's pretty straightforward, right? Um, We have all seen this, haven't we? We've all seen this. You don't have to be a Christian to see this truth. Uh, If you're not a Christian today, you have seen people hiding in darkness because they want to do bad stuff, haven't you? True? I mean, we saw it this week, right? Um, This big operation came out called Operation Ironside. And basically, in a nutshell, what actually happened is uh, some kind of informant in the States set up this anonymous encrypted messaging um, app, which they sold the criminals on a modified mobile phone. That's what they did. And, this, and it went off. For a long period of time, these criminals were communicating their criminal deeds secretly on this anonymous encrypted app. And then someone in the AFP or some people in the AFP in Australia, the Australian Federal Police, worked out how to decode these messages. So the police were watching and listening to all this stuff going on. There were murders going on, drug deals going on, all this sort of stuff is going on now listen to this this is out of the Sydney Morning Herald on the 11th Um, popularity surged in July 2020 when European authorities announced an investigation into another platform EncroChat which was dismantled before the takedown of another app Sky Global in March this year this is Anom the app that they set up there were 3,000 active users of Anom this surged to 9,000 by May Here's another quote. This week, the AFP said officers were monitoring 40,000 messages over a fortnight in April 2020, and this had increased to 2.67 million a fortnight by April this year. Now, this wasn't on the open market. They they, they were selling the phones, these modified phones with this app on it. Um, it It's not like you go down to Big W and you get one of these phones. It wasn't one of those, right? Um. What's going on? Well, it's secret. It's in the darkness. People are doing bad stuff. It's like, yeah, like we've seen that heaps of times. Is anyone with me? We just have. And you just need to know this is one of the core threads of the DNA of evil. Hiding. Hiding in darkness. Always has been. Always will be. I'll tell you something, when people don't hide their evil, that's a sign that the culture is almost totally disintegrated. And it happens sometimes. 
you can trace this dynamic right back to the first sin. This is just the way it rolls. Uh, you remember the story? Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden by God. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed him. And then what did they do? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. Where they hide themselves? In the shadows. In the bush. They hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the tree of the gardens. God, in the Garden of Eden, the light came along and they loved hiding in the darkness rather than coming into their light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. That's why. Um, They preferred, in a sense, in their shame and in the conviction of their sin, to cozy up to their sin rather than to come close to God. And, you know, you can see this. You can actually see it before people do something bad, that they go into the darkness and they kind of start hiding before it, during it, and then after it. The reality is that when it comes to evil, this is probably true of humanity a lot of the time. We want to do what we want to do and we don't want anyone to stop us. We want to do what we want to do and we don't want anyone to stop us. And this is, this is a tricky thing, I think, about talking about this. is um, When we're talking about this idea of uh, being condemned and, and loving the darkness, there's still, if we love Jesus, we can, maybe not the condemnation bit because we're out from under that because of Jesus, but we can still see that dynamic that operates inside of us sometimes with sin, right? You just do it in the secret. You do it so that no one can see. Let me um, just do a little uh, x-ray of your soul for a moment. Um, See if we can find a cancerous lump anyway. Are you doing something in secret which you don't want others to know? Now, I'm not talking about things that are personal and private. I'm not saying that you have to be on display for everyone, but... I'm confident that you know the difference between being personal and hiding something because it's not right. I'm confident you know the difference between being wise about what you open yourself up um, to in relationship and not wanting to be found out. You know, one of the most powerful places for secret evil is the internet, isn't it? It is one of the most powerful places for secret evil. And some, probably in a room this size, need to repent for having your hand or your index finger. You need to repent for what that's doing with a computer mouse or what your thumb does on a mobile phone. Now... I just want to say something. People used to make jokes about how much I talked about this in the early days of the project, but I do just want to say something uh, quickly here. And uh, I'd love it, really, honestly, I'd love it if all the women could leave, to be honest. Uh, So, women, you can think about something pleasant for a moment. It's not exclusively a men's problem, but it it mostly is. Um, 
And that's, uh, that's pornography. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying statistically, in a room this size, there are going to be people in this room, probably some females as well, who are doing pornography and no one else knows about it. It's a secret thing that you're doing in the dark. need to come into the light dark is not cool I was talking to someone um, about Operation Ironside they read some news article and they said you know Operation Ironside you would kind of think that all these crims are just going to work together really well and it's like no they don't they're actually all against each other they're just finding ways to manoeuvre and get the thing that they want while they're doing stuff in the darkness. The darkness is not a pleasant place. If you are doing stuff, in particular, gentlemen, if you're doing stuff in the darkness, you need to find someone to talk to about that. You can come and talk to me. You can talk to Nathan. You can talk to your community group leader. I'll be wise about where you talk about it, the way that you handle some of that stuff, but you need to talk about it. You need to bring it into the light. Because there's nothing sweeter than a clean conscience, right? And there's nothing that will grind you down more than a dirty conscience. (laughs) Your conscience is a thing that tells you that something you've done wrong, that, that something is wrong that you've done. And I'd ask you this question. I'd ask this of everyone. Is it clean at the moment? Is your conscience clean? It's not just a porn thing, it's an anything thing. You're doing stuff in the secret, in the dark, and you've got a dirty conscience. Have you told anyone about it? James 5 says that healing comes when you confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. How long since you've done that? (laughs) Just stump up to someone that you trust? You don't have to stand up in church with a microphone and tell everyone but you stump up to someone that you trust and you say, hey, let me tell you some stuff that I've been blowing it at lately. Can you pray for me? That would be a good conversation, wouldn't it? How long since you've confessed your sin to God? Here's the amazingly good news about all of this is you can actually have a clean conscience today. But you can't get clean unless you come clean. <laughs> you get that? You can't get clean unless you come clean. And you've got to come clean to the people that you've offended. You've got to come clean to God and you've got to invite him to forgive you and the people who you've hurt to forgive you. You can do it today. God will clean you up and purify you. And let me just add a little footnote. Sometimes that will be really painful. I've worked with people in the past that have had heavy, heavy consciences because of the things that they've done. And then they've come clean about the stuff that's been going on. And do you know what it does at that point in time is you have a whole bunch of trouble, right? And it was always there. It wasn't like all of a sudden confessing made trouble. It's like, no, it just brought it out into the light. And then you've got to deal with it. And sometimes that takes a while to deal with, especially if it's a a particularly hurtful thing that has affected other people. And that's one of, the, one of the weird dynamics sometimes in people confessing deep things is they've carried this thing in their conscience for years 
and it's been weighing them down. And when they confess it, they feel this release, but all of a sudden that burden has actually been lumped on someone else that they've done it to. Do you know what I'm saying? And so now they're struggling with stuff. Now, let me transition. That's, that's the bad news. Okay, that's the bad news. John wants you to know that this is not just how evil works. This is how humanity rolls. And it's in particular the way that people respond to Jesus. Jesus, like the Garden of Eden, is the light which has come into the world. And like the Garden of Eden, we either run from him into darkness or we move toward him. The tendency of natural humanity is to run from him and to love the darkness. But the good news in this passage is people don't always do that. Some people come to him. Some people move toward God. And the reason why they move toward God is because of God's default setting. (laughs) Okay? No one's moving toward God unless God's got this default setting. Have a look at verse 17. Everything, look, if you found that heavy, the first part, you're going to love the rest. The rest is just like sweet. John 3 verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Saved. Saved. I want you to hear this. Everyone look at me. Jesus did not come to point out that you're wrong. Do you hear me? You are wrong. But he didn't come to point out that you're wrong. He didn't come to give you a big, I told you so. You bad people. You are a bunch of losers. I know all about you people. I even know the bad stuff you don't know. I'm going to get you now. He didn't come to do that. He did not come to do that. This is why Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. I love this. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Here's here's the way Sondergaard puts it. Jesus didn't show up to bust us. You hear that? If he did, no one's putting their arms down. Why would you come out of the darkness if God just wanted to get you? You'd stay, wouldn't you? You'd do what you could to kind of protect yourself. What's God doing here? Well, he's doing the same thing he's done throughout human history. What's that? Well, you need to hear this, that God engages with your condition before he deals with your behaviour. Do you hear that? He engages with your condition before he deals with your behaviour. Now, come back to the Garden of Eden with me. Genesis 3, 8 to 9. Adam and Eve, they're in the bushes. They've got fig leaves on, particularly uncomfortable. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, everyone read the question. Where are you? Could God have gone up to that bush, pulled the branch back, just gone, you losers. I told you not to touch that. And I saw everything that you did. Couldn't he have done that? But he doesn't, right? 
What does he lead with? He leads with their condition. What's their condition? They're lost. They're lost. God engages our lostness before he engages the cause of our lostness. You see that? He engages our lostness before he engages the cause of our lostness. Jesus did not show up to condemn you. That was already happening, right? He showed up to save the world. Now, we we can slip sometimes in this particular area. And I want to give you a couple of examples where we can slip in this particular area and we can get out of sync with the way that God does things. And I'm just kind of throwing these out, not to have a crack at you at all, but just to go, this is, I want you to see how sweet it is that God shows up and deals with our condition. It's, it's a bit different to us. Here's, here's one example. If you're a parent, you probably had the experience with your kids where one of your kids has just been ongoingly disobedient, all right? And the more they're disobedient, the more alert you get to their disobedience, Right? And, and you look closer and closer and then you get the microscope out and you watch their behaviour and then you get the, the um, sorry, you get the magnifying glass out first and then you get the microscope out and you just look closer and closer and closer. And before long, if you're not careful as a parent, the thing that become, can become the most prominent to you is your kid's behaviour. That's the thing that matters. You just need to obey and then everything will be all right. What's, what's going on inside of your kid's heart? Well, they're lost. <laughs> they need saving. They need saving. And we can easily kind of get distracted and, and the main thing about us just become their child, our child's behaviour. There's a, there's a broader cultural expression of this as well and that's sometimes Christianity can become very moralistic. Has anyone ever noticed that? You see the culture around you and you just go, this is a bad culture. It's like they have to stop doing bad things. And in some sense, that's true. But you know what they need? They need to not be lost. (laughs) They need to not be condemned. They need to be saved, don't they? In the same way that your, your child needs to be saved. They need to be rescued. And I don't mean in an ultimate salvation sense necessarily. They need God's rescue. We have this tendency, I think, to lead with behavior. We lead in our poorer moments with um, what other people or our children have done wrong. And what they need to do, God, on the other hand, leads with our condition. What's our condition? Perishing. Lost. Condemned. And he leads with mercy and grace. He paves the way for you to get out of trouble. And be showered with kindness and help. Now, for some of you, you probably, some of you, you, you kind of got your foot on the brake. At this point, it's going, Peter, we need to hit the brake a little bit here. Uh, are you saying that what people are doing doesn't matter? Does it mean that people just get let off? 
Well, they do just get let off when they come to Jesus. And that's the scandalous part of grace. But probably in the room, there's, everyone's going to sit on some kind of continuum between these two extremes. You go, does that mean people just get let off? And then there's maybe others of you just go, why can't God just forgive and just be gracious about stuff and not worry too much about what people have done? Well, it does matter what people do. You go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, does God get to the behavior and to the sin? Of course he does. He always does. You have to get to that. Because that's actually what's created the problem. But mercy and grace lands on the front end, in the condition, in the lostness. The grace comes there. You see, this is why our mission statement of the project is not restoring right behavior or restoring holiness or restoring integrity. It's why our mission statement of the project is restoring true humanity. How do you do that? You restore true humanity through uniting people to Jesus, joining people to Jesus, and then helping them to operate in union with Jesus. Communion, the deep sharing of thoughts and feelings with each other, the sharing of lives. See, our problem in the garden... And our problem in John chapter 3 is actually a relational problem. It's a fact that we don't want God. And there's a problem between he and us. And, and you don't fix a relational problem by improved behavior. You don't do that. That's not how it works. It's the wrong fix for the problem. You have to find a relational fix. What's a relational fix? Jesus, the Son of God comes and dies on the cross for us all, pays the penalty for our sin so that we can be united to God. That's God's default setting. So we've seen our default setting, God's default setting. Now, it's over to you. Have a look at verse uh, verse 20 and 21. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Uh, Jesus has come. His intentions are clear. If you love Jesus today, you've already accepted what's on offer for you. But his saving doesn't end. You probably should know this, I would imagine. But um, his saving doesn't end when you become a Christian. You need saving every single day. Um, If you're not a Christian, um, Jesus has come. And he's come to save you from the trouble. And the question is, what are you going to do with that? And, you know, we can see here uh, in this, in this verse uh, 20 and 21 um, that you live with the consequences of whatever choice you make. So you can choose not to come to Jesus. You can choose to come to him. 
that's your choice. You could let shame and the fear of exposure and conviction drive you into the darkness or you could come into the light and you could be seen. And I just want to put one quick caveat in here. Um, if you think, no, I think I'll just stay in the dark because then I actually don't have to own up about stuff. Um, I just want to say to you, don't think that the things that you've done in the dark stay in the dark. Like in the, in the interim, they're going to come out probably in your behaviour at some point in time. People are going to find out. And in the long run, uh, as Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen says this, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You know, it doesn't matter that you delete stuff. It doesn't matter that you uh, clear your history um, in your browser or in your phone. Um, There is a history of everything that you've done that you can't delete. And it it will come out one day. It will come out. All the things that you did that no one else saw. The only way to avoid this stuff coming at you is to believe in Jesus to ask him for forgiveness and put your life into his hands. That's the only way out of condemnation. But here's, here's where I want to finish. I want to finish uh, on a big time up. Let me, I wanna, I'm going to make a bunch of statements. If you're a Christian and you're and you, uh, a part of the project, um, I'm going to make a bunch of identity statements about us, okay? And, and, and you may not exactly fit this, but that's the reality of who God's made you to be is, is God changes you, brings you into his family and then you have to live into who he's made you. That's what you have to do. The New Testament is all about that. So let me, let me say some things to you. We are not people who like the darkness. We don't like that. We are light lovers. That's who we are. We love to come into the light. I mean, I hate having a dark house, right? I, and I have lights on all over the place in rooms, that I, that I don't even go in, right? And it's annoying to people in my house, right? But I love a light house. It's, I love it when it's light. It does something to my spirit. And I'll tell you something, if you are part of the project and you love Jesus, you are a light lover. You love the light. You love it. Uh, this is who we are. We do not, who's with me on this one? We do not slither around in darkness. We don't do that. We don't do it. That is not us. Other people can do it. We'll pray for them. We don't do it. We don't want to do that. Uh, when we find dark things in our lives, what do we do with them? Well, we are the people who bring it into the light. That's what we do. We bring it out into the light and we let Jesus see it and we let a brother or a sister see it. We bring them to Jesus. And do you know what happens to us because we love the light so much? We just get brighter and brighter. And we do lots and lots of True things. That's what John talks about. We do true things. And we don't do true things. If you look at that scripture there back in verse 21, we don't do true things because we're such wonderful people. We do true things because we're connected to Jesus. So you could ask the question, why does a light bulb shine? Because it's connected to the power and the power's on. That's why, right? That's us, right? We connect to Jesus and we shine really, really bright around the place. We shine really, really bright. And you see, truth for us is not just theory. It's theory in practice. It's always in practice. We do true things. 
Here's where I want to finish this morning. Maybe the worship team can come up now. And this is a really good place for us to finish as we have a bit of a break from John for a while. It may be... (laughs) It may be that some of you are struggling with some spiritual schizophrenia. All right? Multiple personalities. You know, I talk about these identity things. You go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's some stuff going on that is like, no, no, no. Well, you just see, John knows about this stuff. He's not naive to this stuff. If we uh, sneak on further into the Old Testament, you actually, and you read John's letters that he wrote. Um, And I'd encourage you, uh, over the next little while while we're out of the Gospel of John, can I encourage you to read 1st, 2nd and 3rd John? Because you'll see similar themes popping up in 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. And surprise, surprise, if we go to chapter 1 of 1 John, we find the same kind of themes coming up. So I want to read it. And we're going to sing. And, um, yeah, you can confess some things. Come into the light if you need to. The light is a good place to be. Uh, 1 John 1, 5 to 9. This is the message we've heard from him, uh, Jesus, proclaimed to you. That God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, John knows that you're going to blow it. John knows, if you're a Christian, John knows that there's going to be moments where you're going to love the darkness. And he's saying to you, that's not you. All right? It's not you. God never does anything dodgy, so you should just come into the light and talk with God about it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.